Amazing. We've got a special guest with us today. He's not new to the bridge. He's been here many times. He'll continue to be with us once or twice a year, every year. A friend who's impacted our lives, Joel and Marie Holm, impacted our lives in a lot of ways. He constantly speaks wisdom into our lives, helps us think things through on the management side of the church. Great speaker, travels all over the world doing missions work and leadership work. We're honored to have Joel and Marie in our lives. And Joel shared a great message first service. I know it's going to speak to you today. Put your hands together and let's give a big, loud welcome to Joel Holm. Good morning. Hey, would you stand to your feet with me? I think God is amazing that, you know, when we carve out really just probably a little bit more than an hour of our time on a Sunday morning to come before Him, He is always faithful to deposit something in our hearts and in our minds that literally can change the trajectory of our lives. So let's pray and let's believe that, you know, over these next few minutes as we've had worship and now we have the word that God will plant something in your heart and in my heart that can really liberate us and put us on a greater path towards all that he has for us. Lord, we love you. We thank you that you were here before we got here this morning, that you welcomed us into this place. So now we open up our hearts and our minds. We ask that you would speak to us. More than that, Lord, we ask that just in these few minutes, as only you can, in your grace and your love, that you would transform us. Thank you for your goodness. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. There's a verse I've been studying that many of you will be familiar with out of 2 Timothy. Chapter 1, verse 7, it says this, For God has not given us the spirit of fear, but of power, of love, and discipline. But if we look at that verse honestly, most of us in here would say, I believe it, but the truth of the matter is there's something going on in my life right now that has a little bit more to do with fear than it does power and love and discipline. Fear can show its way, its face in a variety of different ways. Uh, you may be here and fear looks like panic. Panic oftentimes deals with the future. There are things I don't know about the future, I can't control about the future, and there's an anxiety that raises up inside of me. We can do that with our money, where I'm not sure how I'll be able to manage what's coming up. We can do that with our children. If you're a parent here and you've got kids that are graduating from high school and you can't necessarily control the future in which they go, and panic sets in. I've not given you a spirit of fear, but of power, of love, and discipline, and yet, if we're honest, we say, you know, sometimes I have this sense of panic. Sometimes fear looks like insecurity. Insecurity is when we define our identity based upon how we think other people see us. And other people become kind of a mirror for ourselves. And oftentimes we're worried and nervous about how we come across in relationships, how we may be perceived, especially inside of a church where we're supposed to look a certain way and act a certain way. And there can be a measure of insecurity about your identity, about your worth. Fear can also look like failure. Maybe you've had some experiences where things didn't quite go the way you thought they should, and now when you think about doing something for God, especially, you're nervous about that because you're afraid that you may not succeed in that. And so God says really clearly, I have not given you a spirit of fear, but of power, of love, of discipline. And yet, if we're honest, we say sometimes we have this symptom of fear that's there. 
God hasn't given to us, but why is it there? And I think the answer is in this verse itself. If you look at 2 Timothy 1.7 again, it says this, For God has not given us the spirit of fear, of power, love, and discipline. I think it's in that one word, given us, that he gave us something. Do we know what he has given us? Do you know what he has given you? Because overcoming fear is not something you accomplish. Walking outside of fear is not something that you earn or can conquer on your own. It's what God gives you. I travel a lot, as Gary said, and recently I had to take an international trip. So I had to get to LAX late at night to catch an international flight. And I knew, I was so confident of where I was seating. I'd taken this trip before on this airline. So I knew I was in the back of the plane in economy class. So I didn't even think about it. I went into LAX. What I didn't realize what I, is that I had been given an upgrade. So I was now flying in first class, but I was completely unaware of it. So I walk into LAX and I go to the gates, you know, where the check-in counters. And if you've ever checked in in, in any airline, you know that there's always a check-in counter for the first-class passengers, and then there's the other check-in counters for the rest of the cattle that are coming on the plane, right? And the first-class, you ever seen the first-class check-in counter? There's a red carpeting that's there for people. There's flowers that's there. Everybody knows you by your first name. So I walk past it because I didn't realize I'd been given an upgrade. I go into the economy class line where it's like Disneyland, this long line. People got all this baggage and stuff like that. And I'm grumbling because I saw a business guy and he walks right into the first class line. You know, they greet him, he gets his thing, he moves on. And I'm in this thing for like 20, 30, 40 minutes. Finally, I check in at the counter. But I'm so sure of where I'm seating, honest to God, I didn't look at my boarding pass. She just handed it to me with my passport and then I just left, still not in a great mood because I had a 12-hour flight in the back of the plane. Now I have to go through security which is just a whole nother experience. If you're here and you're a TSA agent, please forgive me. But wow, it's like they moonlight as prison guards or something. Now there's another line for first class and they're treated so nicely. But when you go through the economy class line, they like make you remove all your clothes. You know, it's just horrible. So I'm grumbling, I get through that. I put my clothes back on, put my belt and my shoes back on. I'm going to go to my gate, but first I'm going to stop by the airport chapel to repent for everything I've called the TSA agents in my mind. <laughs> then I finally get to the gate and the plane is delayed an hour. Now it's like midnight, I got to walk around the airport, still not knowing that I'm upgraded to first class. And I happen to walk past the first class lounge and my body sets the doors open, you know, bzzz, the doors open. So I get to peek into the first class lounge where I'm supposed to be, but I don't know it. And there's mood music, big lounge chairs, free food, free drink. And I walk past just grumbling because I'm just walking through an airport waiting. Finally, it's time to board the plane. I go, and of course, first class, you get to go on first, calmly. It doesn't matter how big your suitcase is. Nobody cares. They just let you on. But if you're an economy, and everybody's fighting for that overhead space. It's like everybody crams in and they're measuring your suitcase to make it sure it's the right type. So finally, I fight my way through the crowds. I get to the plane door. When you're in economy, you make a right and you go to the back of the plane. If you're in first class, you make a left. I hand my boarding pass, which I haven't yet looked at, to the flight attendant. And she said, oh, Mr. Home, welcome. And she points for me to go to the left. Now I'm really frustrated. Because I think to myself, she doesn't even know where my seat is. So I argue with her. I said, no, it's this way. 
She pulls the boarding pass out. She sticks it in front of my face. She goes, no, Mr. Holm, you're in first class. I went, the heavens opened up. Oh, I could hear the angels singing. And then I thought about the last three hours of my life. <laughs> and everything I had missed out on. Because I hadn't realized what I had been given. You have not been given the spirit of fear, but of power, of love, and discipline. But sometimes we're like me. We're so sure this is our lot in life. I just got to deal with this panic. I just got to face, you know, I got this insecurity. It's just going to be there. It won't ever go away. I'm just going to probably have some failures, maybe a few success. We're so sure that we don't look at what we have been given. And just like me in the airport, God wants you to know that he has given you an upgrade. He hasn't given you that spirit of fear. Now, it's there. We understand that. But it didn't come from heaven. And it's something that you don't have to embrace. I've given you a spirit of power, of love, and discipline. But why is it there? And how can I discover what I've been given? You may be here this morning and there may be something going on in your life right now that creates that kind of a fear, a, a panic or an insecurity or whatever it may be. God wants to just share a, an amazing word with you and I hope do something in your heart in the next few minutes that will help you discover what you've been given so you can walk, not in the fear, but in the power and the love and the discipline. And to do that, we're going to study a story out of Matthew 14. You may want to turn there in your Bibles. This may be a story that you're well familiar with, but sometimes when we get too familiar with a story, we look at it, you know, from the wrong way, and we're going to look at it from a bit of a different way. This is a story when Peter walks on the water, and even in the title is the misunderstanding. Because far before Peter walks on the water, Jesus walks on the water. And it's very important we understand the sequence of this for what he wants to teach us. Matthew 14, starting in verse 22. Immediately, now Matthew loves this word immediately. He uses it a lot in the story and there's a reason why he does. Immediately, Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to the other side while he dismissed the crowd. So he's setting them up for what he wants to teach them. After he had dismissed them, he went up to the mountainside by himself to pray. Later that night, he was there alone, and the boat was already a considerable distance from the land, buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. Shortly before dawn, Jesus went out to them, walking on the lake. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and cried out in fear. But Jesus immediately said to them, Take courage, it is I. Don't be afraid. Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. Come, he said. Then Peter got down out of the boat, walked on the water, and came toward Jesus. But when he saw the wind, which is kind of a funky line, I've never seen wind, but he says, when he saw the wind, he was afraid and began to sink, cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You have little faith, he said. Why did you doubt? Then those who were in the boat worshipped him, saying, truly, you are the Son of God. We have to know this story from where it begins. It doesn't begin with Peter getting out of a boat. It begins with Jesus 
walking on the water to them. Because what Jesus wants Peter to understand and what he wants us to understand is that overcoming our fear is not about performing for God. It's not about acquiring some kind of a dosage of faith where you can say, look God, I did it for you. Jesus doesn't want Peter to perform for him. Jesus doesn't want Peter to prove his faith for him. Jesus is out there. He's the one who's walking on the water. He never asks us to do something he hasn't already done. Whatever fear you're facing, whatever issue you're facing, Jesus is fully aware of it, and he's coming to you, but he wants you to walk with him. So he comes to Peter with this kind of comment. Peter, come out to me. Jesus is the one who walks on the water. When we recognize that, we recognize that my fear, what I have been given, is not that fear. It's something that God wants to give me. It begins with understanding who Jesus is and how I can bring my fear to him. So now Jesus comes to the boat and he looks at them. And here's where sometimes I think we get misunderstood because we hear the teaching of this oftentimes, and it's not wrong, it's just a different perspective, where people will say, hey, you're in the boat, and you're safe. Take a risk, get out of the boat. Walk on water. Don't stay in that safe place, but take a risk for God. See what God does, trust him. And I'm not saying that that's wrong, but I want you to look at the people in the boat. These people are not safe. Listen to them, they're screaming in terror. They're scared to death. Jesus comes to the disciples who are in this boat, but they are terrified. Like you, like me, they have fear. You see, the boat is not a safe place. It's just a false sense of security. If you think about your fear that you may have, you may be here and you may have that fear of panic. I don't know about my money situation. And so your tendency is, is to control your money and to hold on to it. And so you don't necessarily have that spirit of generosity. You may choose not to tithe to the church as God commands. And you're doing that because you think that'll make it safe. But let's be honest. Any of us who have had money fear, holding on to it tight does not cause you to sleep better at night. It doesn't eliminate the anxiety. It doesn't take the fear away. It's a false sense of security. When we stay in this unsafe boat, you may have that sense of insecurity. That's your, your fear. And there's a struggle in your heart. And you'd love to tell somebody about it. Because the Bible says, you know, when you talk to other Christians, that's when healing comes and freedom comes. But you're afraid of how they will think of you. So you don't tell anybody about your struggle. You stay in the boat. But that doesn't mean that that fear goes away. It doesn't mean that the anxiety or the worry is gone. The boat is actually not a safe place because Jesus isn't in the boat. Jesus is on the water. And the disciples are terrified in the boat. You may have a fear of the future, of failing. And so you look at an opportunity, I should invite my coworker to church or I should serve in a ministry and use my giftings, but you're afraid of failing God. So you don't, you stay safe. But that fear and anxiety doesn't leave. It stays there, and it tears away at your inside. And when we look at the story, what we discover is Jesus is walking on the water to a group of people in a boat who are really not in a safe place. It's a false sense of security. And whatever fear you have that is hindering you walking out in the faith of God, it's a false sense of security when you don't do anything about that. 
Jesus comes to them because he wants them to understand what he wants to bring to them. So he says, you know, don't be afraid, it's me. So then Peter makes this comment to him. Peter says, if it's you, tell me to come. Now, I think what happened is Peter's in the boat and he says, Jesus, if it's you, tell me to come. And then all of a sudden, in an instant, he realized what he had said. What was I thinking? You ever said something where the moment you said it, you wanted to cover your mouth and grab the words and put them back in? It's like, why did I say that? I think the disciples looked at Peter and said, what are you, crazy? And Peter's thinking, maybe the wind and the waves, you know, he couldn't hear me or things like that. Because sometimes we say things. I remember one time, we used to live in Chicago, and uh, um, we had a dog. So the dog did his business in our front yard, and you have to clean up the business. But during the wintertime, it snowed. Every day, almost, it snowed. So when the dog did the business, the snow came, and nobody had to clean anything up. It just was hundreds of businesses out there. And then spring would come, and you'd have that one week when the temperatures got really hot and all the snow melted. And one time we're sitting on the dining room table, my three kids, myself and my wife, and my wife said, so who's going to go out and clean up all the messes of the dog? And I said, oh, I'll do that. Oh, no, what did I say? But this is an important part of the story. Because sometimes when we have fear, what we do is we overthink it. How do I get rid of this fear? And we overcontemplate it, and we overthink it to such a degree that we never respond in an immediate faith that God gives us to give that fear to him. And we become paralyzed. I think there's a reason why God is moving on Peter to say, tell me to come and I'll come. And today, maybe God will speak to you in a way that he spoke to Peter. He'll say, do this. And there'll be an instant faith to do that that will set you free from that fear that's there. And gee, Peter says, you tell me to come and, and, and I'll come. And look at what Jesus says. He says one word, come. And he says it with a sense of authority. Come. He doesn't say, Peter, pray about this for a while. He doesn't say, Peter, you know, talk to the disciples. Get some counsel on this. Make sure it's okay. He doesn't say, Peter, consider the season and maybe the time is right or not right. When Peter says, tell me what to do, Jesus says, come. Why does he do that? Now, Jesus is interested in Peter's best desire and, and what will help Peter the most. And so he gives Peter a very clear command not to control Peter, but to put something in Peter that will set him free and change the directory of his life. And here's why he does that. Do you remember uh, years ago a book came out called The Five Love Languages? It's got written by a guy named Gary Chapman. So there's these five love languages, words of affirmation and acts of kindness and time. And there's two others I couldn't quite remember. So there's this five love languages. And then they came out with, you know, five love languages for teenagers. And then five love languages for left-handed people. And five love languages for cat lovers. And every kind there could be, they came out with a book of this kind. And I read that book, Five Love Languages. And it's a great book, but I discovered I was not in the book. Because I have a sixth love language, food. You can say whatever words of affirmation you want. You cook me a really nice meal and you have my heart forever. This is true, isn't it? Yeah, you get this. So, God has a love language. It's called obedience. God's love language is obedience. If you love me, Jesus said, you will obey my commands. Not because he's a dictator, but because of love 
and his desire to love you and to have you love him. So he comes to Peter and he says it very specifically. Listen, Peter, come. Because his love language is obedience. And God also knows that when we obey him, there's the favor of God that is present for us. When you have this fear that resides in you, some of that you give to God through prayer and faith. But you know what? Just like he did to Peter, I am confident that he comes to every one of us and says, here's the action, here's the obedience you need to take that will cause you to walk on water with him. And that's when the favor comes. I've been in ministry and a Christian for almost all my life. And five years ago, my family and I moved from Chicago to Southern California. And uh, it was really amazing to discover the real estate prices in Southern California. <laughs> and after 25 years of ministry and traveling all over the world, five years ago, fear came into my heart. It's like, how on earth will we afford to live in Southern California? The house we owned was a nice house. If I sold it, I could buy like half a garage in Southern California. <laughs> and fear was there. And I took a trip overseas to India um, and was there and we were right getting ready to sell the house. It took about 10 months that time to sell a house where I lived and we didn't have 10 months. We wanted to move fairly quickly. I had no idea how this would work. Would we sell it? Where would we buy? And I'm in India and my wife and I had made a commitment that when we sold our house that we would tithe on the profits of the house to, to the Lord, of course. And I'm in India, and so I'm in a meeting, and this man begins to talk about a project that he's got going on. And I felt like the Lord spoke to my heart, and he said, he said, I want you to tithe on your house to that project. And I said to God, well, yeah, we've already sorted that out. When the house sells, we'll tithe on it to, to this project. And God said, no, no, no. I want you to tithe on the sale of your house now to that project. And so I had to clarify for God, because I think he was a little confused, <laughs> that the house had yet to sell. You know, that it was the tithe comes after you. And he goes, just like he told Peter, come, he told me, now. Now I have a choice. His love language is obedience. Favor comes when we obey. I've got fear. And the way that fear will go away is what? Do I obey? Do I not obey? So in that instance, I said, okay. And a few days later, we had the money wired over so that they could do their project. Can I tell you this? In four days, our house sold. What should have taken 10 months took four days. We moved out here. A series of miracles took place. We have a beautiful place where we live. God took care of us. Why? Because his favor is on those who obey, and obedience is his love language. And as much as I would love to stand up here and say, if you've got fear in your life, you just sing a worship song and you'll be fine, it doesn't work that way. You've got to be true with the word and what it says. Jesus wants nothing more than to see you walk in the victory and the joy. He has not given you the spirit of fear. But it does demand that we hear him tell us, what do we do? He comes to Peter and he says, listen, Peter, I want you to come. Now, here's what happens in the story. Peter's in the boat and he hears Jesus say, come. And I think sometimes we get it wrong because in our mind... You know, because we've heard of that story where you're in the boat and, you know, the boat's a safe place, you know, get out of the boat and take a risk, and then, you know, Peter is, like, drowning. I I'm not sure that it happened in the way that we think it necessarily happened. We think Peter gets out of the boat and there's a rough way and he begins to walk, and all of a sudden he gets scared and he begins to drown, and he's drowning and he's going underwater. It's like the scene out of the Titanic where DiCaprio is drowning in slow motion now, and he's going into the water. And Jesus is like over here somewhere, and I don't, know, you know, I don't know what he's doing. Maybe he's fiddling with his garments or something like that. And he looks over, and he sees Peter drowning, and he goes, oh, no, he can't die. 
I need him for the book of Acts. I need him for the Acts of the Apostles. He can't die. So Jesus now becomes a Huntington Beach lifeguard. He throws his cloak off. He dives into the water. He reaches down and he pulls Peter up. Jesus grabs Peter in a chokehold and he swims him over to the boat. He throws Peter in the boat. He rolls over to the boat and there's Peter and he's not breathing. So now Jesus begins to do CPR on Peter, you know. Get him to breathe, get him to breathe. And finally, Peter like coughs up some water, comes back and Jesus looks at him and with the nastiest voice said, why did you doubt? Why do we always give God an angry voice? Really, why do we read this story like it's this mean, angry voice. I don't think that's what happened at all. I think Peter's in the boat and Jesus says, come. Peter gets out of the boat and he begins to walk on the water. And then, yes, he stumbles, but immediately Jesus is there. Now, Peter, in his mind, think he, thinks he's going to die. Lord, save me, because Peter's like us. Immediately Jesus is there for you and for me. But in that moment, even though we're not really drowning, we think we're going to die. We think the world is coming to an end. We're crying out, Lord, save me. And Jesus, I think sometimes with the gentlest, grace-filled voice, says, why would you doubt me? Why would you ever think I would let you drown? Immediately, he's right there. Almost to the point that it's barely a stumble. He's right there. He picks him up. How do they get back to the boat? I can envision Jesus and Peter holding hands, walking on the water together, back to the boat. And they get back to the boat together, and the disciples go, Wow, this is the Son of God. And that's the picture of how Jesus cares for you and wants to dis for you to discover what you've been given. Not, not fear, but power and love and discipline. Not performance, see how I can conquer my fear. But he's right there immediately. And some of you may be feeling like, wow, Lord, save me. And Jesus is saying, no, no, I'm right here. And he grabs your hand and we walk on the water together. Maybe you're here and you've got that sense of panic in your life. Jesus would speak to you the way he speaks to Peter. He'd say, you know, you got to make me your CEO. You may have made me your savior, but you got to put me in charge of your life because there's nobody better to manage your time and your money and your career. You say, Joel, that seems like such a big decision. I don't think it is. If God proved his love to you by sending his son to die on the cross. Who better to manage your life? Sometimes we get so caught up in the itty-bitty details of our life that we lose a perspective on it. God always has that perspective on it. That may be the walking on water for you. If you're here and you have that fear of insecurity and you have that difficulty of sharing what's on your heart, and through that you discover a freedom and a deliverance and a joy and a faith, here's the beauty of what we do with our fear. We don't discard our fear. We don't conquer our fear. Peter, later in ministry, really shortly before he's done with ministry, he would write 
to tell us what to do with our fear. And I think he would think back to this story. And in 1 Peter 5, he says this, cast all your fear on him because he cares for you. You don't discard your fear. You don't conquer your fear. You don't push your fear down. You don't live with your fear. You give your fear to Jesus. And when you give your fear to Jesus, you discover how much more he loves you. The Bible teaches that God will take anything in our life and turn it to good. That includes that fear. Some of you have a fear right now that you're facing. That's a doorway to a discovery of so much of God's love for you. It's a doorway to a whole nother perspective on his intimacy with you. Like Peter, if you will do the right thing with that fear, you'll find yourself walking on water, hand in hand with Jesus. Maybe you're here and you have that fear of failure. If you do what Peter did, if you understand what you have been given, it'll redefine your entire relationship with him. You will refuse to accept, oh, this is just economy class, just my lot in life. It'll change you forever. I think it did for Peter. A lot of people look at this story and they say, Peter failed, thank God Jesus was there. I don't think this is a story of failure at all. I think Peter lived in this story through his whole ministry because of the opportunity he had had to walk on water. You ever walked on water? To walk hand in hand with Jesus. I can imagine Jesus ascends, Peter's going about his business village to village, him and some of the disciples come into a village, and the villagers recognize him, and they say, hey, are you that guy who walked on water? Peter goes, yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm that guy. Wow! Would you tell us the story? They'd be really interested, and Peter would go, no, no, I've told the story a hundred times. I don't need to tell it again. Please, please tell us the story. So Peter goes, okay, I'll tell the story again. Gather around. And he begins to tell the story. It was a rough, windy night. I walked out of the boat and I began to walk on water and their eyes get really big as they're listening to Peter tell the story. And he says, you know, as I'm walking towards Jesus, eh, something happened, maybe I tripped over my cloak or something like that, you know. But Jesus was right there. And he tells this story about how he walked on water. And he goes, and then Jesus and I, we held hands and we walked back to the boat together. And he looks at the villagers listening to his story and he says, you know, we were holding hands so closely and walking so closely, I'm not sure if he was holding my hand, or maybe I was holding his hand. It was just, we were walking together, and they're going, wow. And Peter says, I, I wish, you know, Jesus ascended, so he can't really give you an insight into the story and what happened. He's, and he looks to the disciples, and he goes, James, John, do you have anything to add to this story? No, you wouldn't, would you? Because you didn't get out of the boat, did you? Only I got out of the boat. He lived in this story. When you see God take a fear that lingers in your life and sets you free from it, not because of your great performance or even your great faith, but your willingness to hear him tell you to do something so you can discover what you've been given, you will live in that story for the next 40 years of my life I will tell the story of how we tithe on the profit of a sale of a home before that home sold. I will live in that story because of what we've been given. You have not been given the spirit of fear, but of power, love, and discipline. Maybe you're here this morning and you'd say, Joel, there is some fear in me. 
There's anxiety. There is a, a panic over things I don't control, certain situations that are right now in my life. There, there is an insecurity about other people that is really kind of harnessing me in. There's a fear I have about failing, and it's stopping me from inviting my coworker to church. God, in all, in the, all the grace and love he can muster, wants you to know you have not been given a spirit of fear, but of power, of love, of discipline, power, the ability beyond yourself to follow God. Peter didn't get out of the boat out of just his own self-will, but he discovered what was available for him. Love. The intimacy, 1 John 4 says, there is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear. One of the most glorious statements of this morning is whatever fear you have, on the other side of that fear is an amazing love for you to discover. If you're willing to do what Peter did, of discipline, habits that will help you to live in the spirit and what you've been given. I had this taught to me so profoundly many years ago. I was just starting in ministry, just kind of getting going. I was early 20s. I had no idea what I was doing. And I had an opportunity to go to India and speak at a conference of 2,000 pastors. So I went over there and I sat down the night before the conference was supposed to begin with the host pastor to understand who these men and women were. And he began to explain them to me. He said, Joel, he said, he said, you know, many of these men and women have traveled for multiple days, some by foot, just to come here you teach. And I thought about how I had flown in on a really nice airplane and still complained about it. He told me how many of them were bivocational. They had other jobs and their spouses worked. So all of their money could go into the church. They sacrificed everything for the kingdom ministry. And I thought about my nice clothes and our two cars and our house. He said, I know it's late, but tomorrow morning, if you would be willing, would you get up at 5.30 in the morning? Because they gather together every morning for an hour, an hour and a half to pray before their day. And I thought to myself, wow, you know, I pray, but get me up at 5.30 in the morning and it could get ugly. He left the room and honestly, guys, I got on my knees and my prayer to God was, I can't do this. Fear came into my heart. I hadn't been given it from heaven, but it was there. An anxiety that said, what will these people think of me? Who do I think I am? And I came to God and said, I can't do this. And it was interesting because I was hoping for a pep talk from God. You know, yes, Joel, you can do this. But I didn't get that. But the Lord impressed upon my heart was this. It's like he said to me, Joel, you're right, you can't do this. It's like, really, God? A little help here. But then he continued on. He said, but if I want to, if I choose to, I can do it through you for what I have given you. Not fear, but power, love, and discipline. You may be here and you may say, I can't, I can't control my money in the future. And God would say to it, yeah, you know what? You probably can't, but I can for you. Power, love, and discipline. No fear. You may say, I'm a parent and I love my kids, but as they're growing up, I can't dictate what kind of choices they will make. And God would say, you know, it's probably true in part, but I can. No fear. Power, love discipline. You may have that fear of insecurity that says, I can't, I can't manage what other people will think of me. And God would say, I am here 
for you. And I learned this incredible truth of what I have been given. And this morning, God simply wants to remind you of that truth, what you have been given by his grace, by his love, by his spirit. It's like he wants you to look at your boarding pass, and if you have been living and walking through each day thinking, ah, it's just my lot in life, panic and failure and insecurity, he wants you to know, no, you've been upgraded. But you've got to follow the pattern of Peter. You've got to learn from the example of Scripture. It's funny, Isaiah, I think, kind of summarized this hundreds and hundreds of years earlier in Isaiah 41, 13, almost as if he knew this event was going to take place. He says, For I am the Lord your God who takes hold of your right hand and says to you, Do not fear. I will help you. This is the message he wants to give you. I am the Lord your God who takes hold of your right hand and says to you, do not fear. I will help you. Whatever it is that is in your heart, your soul right now, that fear, whatever it looks like, whatever expression it takes, God wants you to know it's not from him. You don't have to walk in it. And I'm a practical guy. I think it's important that we follow the pattern in the teaching of scripture. Peter did two things. It's the two things we're going to do as we close this service. The first thing he did was an honest prayer to the Lord. Lord, if this is you, you tell me what to do and I'll do it. And if there's a fear there and you feel like, you know, God is present right here, right now. I can sense him speaking to me in my heart. You got to give that honest prayer. God, you tell me what to do and I'll do it. And then Jesus did that. He said, come, Peter. He told me, Joel, now. He'll say something to you. Nobody can tell you what that is. It will be different. But he'll tell you, here's what I want you to do. Here's how you take that fear. Here's how you bring it to me. Some of you may need to forgive somebody. Some of you may need to be generous in your giving. Some of you may need to invite a coworker to church. But I believe he will by his spirit, give you direction. So what we're going to do is we're going to close. It won't take us but a minute or two. We're going to pray, Lord, if this is you, you tell us what to do. And then I'm just going to give us 30 seconds of quiet and trust that whatever God deposits in your heart and mind is from him. And then you got to make the choice. What have I been given? How do I want to live? And I would encourage you to make Peter's choice. Because even if you stumble a little bit, immediately, Jesus is there. Don't miss out on the opportunity to walk hand in hand in a divine way that you maybe have not yet experienced. Bow your heads with me, will you please? Lord, we're here. Beyond my earthly words, we are asking that you would speak we're making that prayer that Peter prayed Lord if this is you if you met us here this morning then if you want to really heal us and set us free help us to discover what we have been given if you want to get rid of that fear Lord you tell us what to do and we will do it Holy Spirit, I pray right now that you would open up the ears and the hearts, the minds, the souls of each person here. 
and that you would speak clearly like you spoke to Peter clearly, Lord. We know that your love language is obedience and we are ready. We are wanting, Lord God, to get out of that false sense of security. We are so desirous to walk hand in hand with you on the water, to trust you. Now just for the next few seconds, with everybody staying silent, you listen to God speak to you about that fear and what he wants you to do. Lord, I pray that you would give us by your spirit the courage each of us in our own way to step out of the boat that we would not live in that full sense of security but that we would walk to you help us to remember that you are immediately here with us thank you for the clarity of your word We receive the power, the love, the discipline so that we can walk to you. You know, with every head bowed, if you're here this morning and you somehow stumbled into church or you have been away for a while, all of this starts with a relationship with Christ. The Bible says that there's this thing called sin that gets in the way of us knowing God and only God could deal with that. He loves you so much he chased you down and he sent his son to die and resurrect so that you could know him and you could walk in that love and that power, that discipline. And he gives this free gift of salvation that we receive when we make him our Lord and our Savior. And it deals with our life today and for eternity. And I'm going to close this in a word of prayer. And as I pray kind of on all of our behalf, if that's you, just wrap your heart around my prayer. Zach will come up in just a few minutes and close us as a church and give us some more direction. But as you hear the words coming from me, know that God hears your heart and he knows your heart. And whether this is the first time you have prayed this kind of a prayer or whether you've just been away from God for long enough that you need to make this prayer again, Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your love for us. We thank you, Lord God, that when we were not interested in you, you kept being so interested in us. We thank you that you sent your son Jesus to die and to resurrect so that we could have eternal life. That you're the one who draws us into you. So this morning, Lord, we make a declaration with our words and with our heart that you are our Lord and you are our Savior. We receive your gift of eternal life and we give you our lives. It's an amazing trade-off, Lord. I pray that you would fill each of us with your Holy Spirit, that we would walk in the power and the love and the discipline that you have given to us. And I pray for each person who is here who needs to say this prayer, Lord, who from their heart are saying it, even though it's my words, would you surround them? Would you 
as only you can, let them know that you are hearing the cry of their heart. Would you wrap them in your arms, those who are coming back? Would, would you let them know how forgiven they are, how loved they are? Lord, I thank you for each person who is here this morning, for the life that they have, for what you have given each of us. Thank you that we get to walk on the water hand in hand with you. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.